sword and, you know, breastplate and, you know, all kinds of uh, a display of power. Jesus rides in on a, a baby donkey, <laughs> a colt. What a paradox. God of all creation humbles himself as he rides in to Jerusalem. Now, it was an exciting day for the people of Israel. At least they thought. They were joyful. They were celebrating. They were shouting, Hosanna, which means save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, of course, they thought Jesus was going to come and establish his kingdom on earth that day, at that hour. He was going to drive out, of course, the Roman oppression Roman government, Roman soldiers. He was going to free their nation again. And he was going to bring peace. And all the things that he did in his ministry is he healed the sick, the lame walked, the blind saw, uh, the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. They liked that one. I mean, like welfare for the whole country. They thought Jesus was going to reestablish a prosperous nation of Israel as he rode in to Jerusalem. How many know that's what we want? We don't admit that, but in reality, what we want from God is what we think we need. And if he'll just make my life comfortable and wonderful, everything will be great. And unfortunately, Jesus understood that, and he knew that, why he, uh, that wasn't why he came. In Luke's account of the triumphal entry, uh, actually in Luke 19, uh, it says when he got to the city, he wept. That Jesus wept because he knew the same people who who cried Hosanna, or many of them would also be in the mob that cried crucify him. When it didn't turn out the way they thought or the way they wanted, they would be the first ones to turn on God. And Jesus also knew 40 years from then, the Roman government was going to come in and absolutely destroy the city of Jerusalem. Every stone would be turned upside down. Um, thousands, even children, would be executed on a cross and killed it was going to be brutal Jesus wept when he rode into the city in fact uh, verse uh, 41 and 42 of Luke 19 it says as he approached Jerusalem he saw the city and he wept over it and said if you even you had known uh, on this day uh, what would bring peace but now it is hidden from your eyes and unfortunately, at that particular time in history, it was hidden. Jesus came to establish a kingdom in our hearts before he restores a kingdom on earth. And, of course, uh, he did that through the power of the cross. And so, uh, as you know, from this point forward, he goes to the upper room. Uh, he serves what we refer to as the, the Last Supper. Uh, it was actually the Passover uh, Supper. Uh, he breaks the bread and he serves the cup says, this is my body broken for you. This cup represents my blood shed for you. The disciples had no idea at that point what it meant. But he talked about a new covenant, removing an old covenant. We're going to talk about that uh, a little bit this morning. After that event, of course, he goes to Gethsemane in the garden. And you remember he asked his disciples to pray. Uh, Peter, James, and John, what'd they do? They fell asleep, unfortunately. And Jesus is left alone. Uh, he, he is under the stress uh, as a man. Okay, he's, he is God. Fully God and yet fully man. As a man, he's under the stress 
of realizing this moment changes everything in history. This moment will change everything for all mankind. And you know, Satan, like a hound, is on him, tempting him not to go to the cross. And Jesus is praying, Father, if there's any other way that mankind can be saved, restored back to relationship with you, if there's any other way, he prayed three times to the point where drops of blood dripping from his forehead because the capillaries bursting uh, next to his skin and mixing with his sweat and falling on the ground. And then finally Jesus says, not my will but yours be done. And he gets up and he heads to the cross. Now, that's when soldiers came. You remember? Judas gone. He got the soldiers. They came with lanterns. They came with swords to arrest him like a criminal. Jesus said, I've been in the temple every day. Why didn't you arrest me then? He steps in front of his disciples. He says to the crowd, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am he. And when he said that, that confession of who he is, I am. Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. Before Abraham was, I am. When he made that confession, they fell to the ground. They couldn't stand in the presence of God. They literally fell to the ground. Now, I don't know if you've ever been touched by God to where you realized you're in another realm. But at that moment, they realized there was another realm because they were literally floored to the ground. They couldn't get up. As they came out of the days, kindly, Jesus, always kind, always in control. He says, who are you looking for again? Jesus of Nazareth, they say. They, he says, I am he. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, let them go. And then he steps forward to go to the cross alone. Now, Peter, remember, he promised, Lord, I'll never leave you. I'll even die for you. So Peter grabs his sword, takes a swing, <laughs> cuts off uh, Malthus, uh, the high priest's servant's ear. Jesus, we know the story, heals him. But Jesus, this is going to be important for the sermon. Jesus says, put away your sword. What I'm going to do, you can't do. You can't add to anything to what I'm about to do. Put away your sword. So I just want to encourage you this morning. Tell your neighbor, put away your sword. Jesus is going to go to the cross, and he's the only one that can do it. He, he can, he's the only one that can accomplish what he's going to accomplish on the cross. And, and this morning, I'm hoping I can teach you to put away your sword and allow what Jesus did to become everything to you. The thing you need more than life itself. What Jesus is going to do on the cross is everything. It is the life-changing power of the cross. And we're going to talk about it uh, one more time here this morning. Now, this is our third week in, in this uh, series. And, of course, we know some of the rest of it here, how uh, Jesus... Uh, was uh, falsely accused, how uh, Pilate tried to release him. Uh, in order to satisfy the crowd, Pilate had Jesus scourged, hoping they would accept that. Uh, you know, beaten 39 times with a whip, pieces of bone and glass tied to it as they literally uh, scourged his back and ripped the skin off his back and the bones and the muscle and even probably the kidneys exposed. Uh, 
But that wasn't enough for the crowd. They continued to yell, crucify him. And so he uh, allowed them to lead him away to be crucified. Uh, verse 23 of John 19. Did I ever ask you to go to John 19? Well, we were in Luke 19. Now we're in John. It's just a few pages away. Uh, Luke, excuse me, John 19, verse 23. It says, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, uh, with the undergarment remaining. Uh, this garment was seamless, uh, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Uh, Let's not tear it, they, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. Uh, this happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. Uh, this is a prophecy, by the way, from uh, Psalms 22, verse 18. A thousand years, literally, before Jesus would be crucified, God prophesied of the indifference of mankind toward his son, Jesus Christ, that they would cast lots uh, for his garments. Verse 25, uh, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, uh, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Can I stop for a second and ask, where are the men? Where are the men? You ever thought about that? Where are the men? When he was arrested, they ran for their lives. Who's at the cross? The women. Ladies, thank you. And I mean this. Thank you for the loyalty that you have in your soul. God designed you to love, and you're amazing. Could the men say amen to that? You are amazing. At the cross, the men <laughs> weren't there. Only John was there. John was the only one of the disciples who were there. But the women were there, and we'll see when we celebrate the resurrection. They were there, the first ones to the tomb. So faithful. Ladies, you are amazing. Why don't you turn to the lady next to you and say, you are amazing. Amazing. Verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved uh, standing nearby, he's referring to John, the author of this book. He said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple John, uh, here is your mother. From that time on, John, the disciple, took her into his house. Verse 28. Uh, later, knowing that everything had been finished and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, uh, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant. That's interesting. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, when, when they celebrated the Passover the first time, remember they took a hyssop stalk and they dipped it in the blood of the lamb and they put it over the doorposts. And the, and the angel of death that was bringing judgment on Egypt would pass over. That's where it comes from, would pass over their houses. And here on the cross, when the lamb of God is being sacrificed for the sins of the world, once again, a hyssop. The Bible's amazing. No one could make up this story written by 46 different authors over a period of almost 4,000 years. 
And yet it is so complete and so accurate in everything uh, that was done. Uh, they lifted up the uh, sour wine, uh, vinegar, to Jesus' lips. That's a prophecy almost a 1,000 years earlier, 800 years earlier, in Psalm 69, verse 21. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Yeah, I've read this story a lot of times in the last uh, three weeks. And uh, you know, every time I read it, I feel like I just need to pause and sit in silence for a few minutes. It's just the Son of God nailed to a cross at the hands of sinful men, brutally beaten, spit upon, mocked, by far the darkest moment in human history, and yet by far the most glorious moment for all who believe, the cross of Jesus Christ, the life-changing power of the cross. It is finished. Will you say it with me? It is, hallelujah, it is finished. God has been glorified. I, I know we don't think about the cross this way. We think about, you know, John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And we think about the cross as God's love for us. And, and could I say this morning, although the cross benefited you, it's not about you. The cross is to glorify God. God had a plan. Before the foundation of the earth, God had a plan. He set an emotion. He allowed mankind to have free will, knowing that his son would have to willingly give up his life and die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He had a plan. It's prophesied more than 300 times in this book what God would do over a period of 4,000 years. How God would wrestle for the heart of mankind. How God would rescue him uh, from the power of, of sin. How God would release him from guilt and then one day declare on the cross, it is finished. <laughs> the plan of God has been fulfilled. The promise, by the way, the promise that God made to Adam and Eve, of course, because of their uh, disobedience and their rebellion against God, even in their sin, Jesus, God, promised to rescue them. From the seed of a woman, a man will come. Satan will strike his heel, but he will crush his head. And he was prophesying, of course, that Jesus would come and rescue uh, mankind uh, from their sin. The plan was completed. The promise is fulfilled. 
And by the way, God's character, and this is really important. It's talked about in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11. God's character is proven. How many know that Satan is the accuser of the brethren? He's constantly accusing. He's the father of lies. He accuses God that God is not loving, that God is not kind, that God is not faithful. He has accused God to you, and you believed him. Satan is the accuser of the brethren, and he's the accuser of God. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11, God's proven character for all eternity testified to all the principalities and powers throughout all eternity. See, God's plan is not temporal. It's not as finite as your little life, 60 years. <laughs> 70, maybe. Some of you got a few more. <laughs> Someone just said, keep going. 80 or whatever, okay? It's eternal. And Ephesians 3, verse 11 talks about how the proven character of God will be declared as it's seen in your life and my life. The wonder of what God did on the cross through Jesus Christ will bring glory to God. It will glorify God for all eternity. There's no story like this story. There's no God like this God. He he is an amazing Amazing God. Jesus said, it is finished. And what he meant, Father, I was faithful. I was faithful what you asked me to do. I was faithful to the plan. I fulfilled your promise. I have proved your character. I have finished the work that you you called me to do. Now, it's interesting. The word finished... Uh, it's uh, it, it's the Greek uh, word, and I'm having trouble saying it right. Uh, Tetelestai. Okay, I'm going to put it up on the screen here. Tetelestai. In case you want to write it down, you can go on Google, type this in. It'll tell you all about it. But basically, this is a a common word uh, in in the Jewish, uh, or excuse me, the Greek language that was part of the culture at that time, the Koinonia Greek. And it was, uh, it, it referred to a transaction, okay? Tetelestai. It is finished. Uh, especially in the realm of commerce or a merchant, uh, what it meant was paid in full, okay? Now, it's kind of a happy word or victorious word or a, a word of achievement, okay? Paid in full. Did anyone have the glorious day of writing the last check to pay off your house? Hallelujah. Paid in full. That's this word, tetelestai. It is finished. Now, maybe some of, some of us aren't there yet. Uh, maybe you just paid off a school loan. Hallelujah. Tetelestai. <laughs> Celebration. It is finished. It's been accomplished. Maybe you paid off a car, and that was a wonderful day. Hallelujah. It is finished. But the word literally means paid in full. Jesus completed uh, what the Father had asked him to do. It's so important for you to see the cross is not just about you. It's really about glorifying our Father in heaven. But I'll tell you, it changes your life 
when you understand what he has done for you. But before we get there, could we just thank him for his faithfulness to finish God's plan? It is finished. Could we just clap and, and praise the Lord for what Jesus has done? Hallelujah. It is finished. Prophesied in the Old Testament, seen in the Passover, fulfilled on the cross. It is finished. So let's talk about what it means for your life. What does the cross mean for your everyday life? Because if you begin to understand the cross, you understand it fulfills every, literally every need you have in your life. Number one, uh, your forgiveness, your need for forgiveness is finished. It is finished. Uh, could someone say hallelujah for that? Paid in full. Paid. There's a good preacher back there, I'll tell you. <laughs> Paid in full. Now, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago a little bit. But can I just tell you, I've been a Christian for 45 years. And this is just starting to sink in to me. To be honest, I think many of us, depending on your background, Catholic, Protestant, or Pentecostal, we grow up with an Old Testament mentality about forgiveness. You know, in the Old Testament, a sacrifice for sins was made every day. If you committed a sin, you brought a lamb or a goat or a bull, and it was sacrificed for sin. Once a year, it was sacrificed for all the sins of the people. Sacrifice was constant. And many of you treat forgiveness that way. You don't mean to. It just emotionally, you were trained that when you do something wrong, you lose your patience. You, you're rude. <laughs> Never happened to me. But anyway, some of you, okay, rude. I've been rude in sermons before. I'm sorry for that. But anyway, um, you sin and you know it. And so what do you do? You feel guilty. You feel wrong. So what do you do? You ask God for forgiveness. Feeling guilty and wrong and waiting for the moment to come when God will forgive you and you'll feel good again. That's Old Testament theology. But we live it all the time. Some of you feel it today. You came to church, oh God, I need forgiveness. You had a weight, condemnation, shame, or guilt. I say this as passionately without bursting your eardrums as I can. It is finished. Forgiveness. Jesus died on the cross once for all. The just for the unjust. And the moment, the moment you recognize that you were a rebel in your heart. Now, if you think you're still a good person, you just need to tune up, you're not a Christian. Okay, that's a lie from the enemy. The truth is, we're rebels in our heart against God by nature from the day we're born. Watch a two-year-old and you'll know what I'm saying. Okay, we are rebels in our heart. You are a rebel. I am a rebel. I turn my back on God in a moment's notice. And, and those of you who are sitting smugly saying, that's not me. I just want to say liars are friars, man. 
okay? We are rebels at heart. Okay, the moment you recognized, I'm separated from God, I'm doing my own thing, I'm calling my own shots, I'm running my own life, and by the way, making a mess of it. The moment you realize that and you turn to God by putting your faith in Jesus Christ, here's what Jesus said, it is finished. Put away your sword. I went to the cross for you. I said, let them go. And he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin for all eternity. Now, this is hard. It's been hard for me to fully understand. So I'm going to give you some scriptures. And I realize that, um, you know, sometimes it's hard to make the time. But I want to encourage you to make some time and, and read. Read Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 through 28. It's, it's amazing. It talks about Jesus' sacrifice better than the Old Testament. It's a better way. It was a better way to deal with the sins of mankind. Okay, he didn't in, enter an earthly tabernacle to pay the penalty for your sin. He entered a heavenly tabernacle to offer sacrifice for sins once for all. So in that moment that you're, you know you blew it, and you know you've sinned. You, you, you look too long at what was on the television or on the internet or you lost your patience or you lost your temper or like me, you flipped someone off. Thankfully not today on the way to work, but uh, nevertheless. Did it a while ago. It's just a bad habit. I just didn't like that guy honking at me when I was riding as hard as I could up that hill on my bike. It made me mad. I flipped him off. Hallelujah. Here's the point. I ask Jesus for forgiveness all the time, and so do you. I ask my wife for forgiveness all the time because I need it, okay? But in truth... I thank God for forgiveness because I realize it's finished. I have forgiveness. Jesus paid the price on the cross. And there's something very humbling when I sit there in my living room or come to church and I just remind myself that I'm forgiven. Past, present, future sins. It is finished. Okay, drop your sword. You're trying to fight your way. Oh, God, I promise I'll never do it again. Oh, God, I'm just going to be a better person. Oh, Jesus, I need to be saved. Now, that might make a lot of preachers a lot of money. But that is terrible theology. It is finished. Your forgiveness is complete. Hebrews 10, another wonderful chapter verse 10 through 26. It says, He offered sacrifice for sins once for all and sat down at the right hand of God. Listen to this part. After making you perfect. After making you perfect. After making you perfect. Now, if you're an honest person, that is so humbling. 
when you sit there in your room and say, Jesus, I, I don't want to sin. I don't want to flip that guy off, although he deserved it. Sorry. I don't want to sin. But thank you for forgiving. You know, the Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. And if you don't understand that, you don't understand conviction. The Holy Spirit does not condemn you. He convicts you. He draws you to God. The word condemn means to be put down and away. Conviction means to draw you. There's always hope with conviction. He draws you to God. Hebrews 7 he says, because of his better sacrifice, he is able to completely save us. Hallelujah. Completely. For all eternity. It's amazing. I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to sit and meditate and think about it is finished when it comes to forgiveness. Number two, my acceptance is finished. Here's an important phrase. I'm no longer distant and dirty. I'm clean and close. Okay? I'm no longer distant and dirty. I'm clean and close. Now, how many know we live in a dirty world? We do. We live in a dirty world. And we have a lot of old tapes in our life. We have a lot of old ways of thinking uh, that, that are part of our nature. There's lust. There's fear. There's greed. Uh, you know, obviously anger, impatience, all those things. And so we have all those things. But the truth is, because of the cross, because it is finished, I'm no longer distant and dirty. I'm clean and close. Now, the way this is explained in the Bible is a little complicated, so I'm going to make it really simple, because I need simple. I don't know about you. I need simple. You can read about this in Romans 7 and Galatians chapter 2. Paul makes a statement. He says this. Now, this is weird. I died to the law. He died to the law. What's, what does he mean by that? I died to the law? How many have been around a dead person recently? Maybe you went to a memorial service, open casket. Okay. What are dead people doing? Not much. Okay. I died to the law. Now, what does that mean? Well, the Old Testament law is a measuring stick. It's a standard by which everyone was judged. It was how you gained acceptance. It's how you gained approval from God by keeping the law. And there's a variety of things with the law that had to do with sacrifices, had to do with days of festival and things. You ate. There's a whole list of things. Did you know that when you turn to Christ in that moment... Christ fulfilled the law for you. Now, there are a lot of people who would never come to church. Pastor, if I came to church, the place would fall down around me. They, they look at themselves from the perspective of the law. I still cuss. I can't go to church. Okay? I, 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 I swear, okay? I smoke. I, you know, whatever it is. There's a whole list of the law. How many know that you have a law in your mind? In your law, in your mind, there's this standard of things. And when you don't measure up, how do you feel? Dirty and distant. But the Bible says you're close and clean 
because of what Jesus did on the cross. And I'm going to read Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Since then you have been raised up with Christ. Wait a minute, I'm sitting in church. Yeah, but, but when you turn to Christ, his resurrection changed everything. His payment for your sin and his resurrection changed everything. And you, the old person, died and you were raised. Now, this is theology. Sounds a little bit like Sunday school. But basically what it means is you're no longer distant and dirty. You're clean and close. Since then, you've been raised up with Christ. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Where's Christ? He's seated at the right hand of God. Where are you? I'm hidden with Christ in God. So I'm clean and close. I'm not distant and dirty. Could someone say hallelujah? It's just so important for you to understand what the cross has done for you. It is finished. Jesus, through the cross. Now, I realize we don't think that way. But the Bible says in Romans 12:1, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And there's this, man, I wish we meditated on God's word as much as we spend time on Facebook or social media or television or whatever else mind-numbing thing we do. We need to be transformed in the renewing of our mind. You know, the Bible says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You don't have to get saved all over every day. You just simply need to do the things that will help you draw near to God. And time in his word and time with other believers and fellowship, prayer, Bible study, all these things that people talk about that it's just so hard for you to break into. Can I tell you, once you break into it, you'll begin to experience what Jesus really did on the cross and you become a free person. Could someone say hallelujah? It is finished. You're not distant and dirty. You're clean and close. Now drop your sword. Stop trying to get close to God in a human effort because Jesus made you close. Just open your heart and receive him. Just allow what he did to become who you are because he, he did it all. It is finished through the life-changing power of the cross. The last one, number three, your equipping for life and godliness is finished. I hope this is the hardest one. But it's true. Your equipping for life and godliness is finished. It is finished. I don't know if you've ever said this before. Boy, I wish I could be more patient. I wish I could be more loving. I wish I could be more kind. I wish I had more self-control. I wish I could be more forgiving. Anyone ever thought of any of those things? How's that going to happen? You know, you're just going to be walking down the street one day, Wednesday, 9.45, and all of a sudden, heaven's going to open up and... Man, I'm so patient. It's amazing. Man, I'm so loving. It's amazing. Man, I have so much forgiveness. It just... Heaven opens. Is that the way it's going to happen? 
I've got some good news and I've got some bad news here this morning. <laughs> here's the bad news. Okay, that's not going to happen. But here's the good news. It has happened in Christ. Now, I know you don't like this part of the sermon. You have all the patience you need. You have all the kindness you need. You have all the forgiveness. You have all the self-control. You have all the love. I don't know. I just don't love my husband anymore. I don't know. I just don't love my wife anymore. Could I just tell you? You have all the love you need. It is finished. Now, where are you going to come up with that one, Pastor? Well, thank you for asking. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Where does it come from? His divine power. When did you receive it? When you turned to Christ and asked forgiveness for your sin. You received everything you need. It is there. I'm going to ask you to turn to your neighbor and say, you're a better person than you think. It's there. You're a better person than you think. It's there. Let me read it again. His divine power has given us everything we need. Everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. How many have ever received a promise from God? His power. He's given you his promises as well and everything. By the way, all his promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. So any promise you see in the scripture, you can say, that's for me in Jesus Christ. It is finished, everything. So that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. How many have noticed that? But when you received Christ, he gave you his divine power at that moment. Okay, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. How many think it would be good just to meditate on goodness and what that word means? Can, can I tell you? Take 10 minutes and just meditate on goodness. Meditate on acting good. Acting good in your marriage. Acting good with your children. Acting good in your workplace. Acting good in the community. Just think about being good. Because the Bible says, add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. Okay, grow in knowledge. To, to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. These are things we get to press into. Things that by his divine nature, he has already given us. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love, agape. 
sacrificial love for one another. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. See, if you've turned to Christ, you can't stay the same. Because His divine power has given you everything necessary for life in God. Everything. And so, if you come to Him, if you spend time with Him, if you get to know Him, if you spend time with Him with His people, if you spend time with Him in His Word, if you meditate on what's right, pure, and just, the Bible says, these qualities will become the things you're noted by. Man, that guy, he's so patient. Man, that guy is so kind. I can't, I can't believe the love that person has. You cannot hurt him. He loves. See, God's divine power through the cross, through the power of the cross, it is finished. Forgiveness for all eternity. Acceptance by God. Just remove the standard. We're free in Christ. But we're changing from glory to glory to glory because His divine power has given us everything we need according to His life and to His goodness. So let me ask you this morning, based on what I said, are you a Christian? Really? I mean, I kind of mean this. I hope you are. I'm not trying to make anyone feel condemned. But I do want to tell you, Believing in Jesus mentally doesn't mean salvation. And attending church doesn't make you a Christian any more than, you know, going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Okay? It's just, it's just important for, for you to ask in a loving way, where is your heart? H have you recognized? Have you recognized that you've rebelled against God? You've turned your back on him? You want to do it your way, not his way? And have you turned to Christ to give him your heart, to give him your life so that his kingdom can come and his will can be done in your heart and in your life and through your life? See, everything necessary has been accomplished on the cross. The question is, will you receive him? We invite the worship team to come. I see they're already here. Thank you so much. Can I do one more illustration? Are you sure? Thank you, Kimberly. Isn't she awesome? Don't you love her? Oh. 40, a little over 40 years ago, 40 and a half, almost 41, I stood in front of a pastor and I, I said to my wife, I said, I, Scott, take you, Cheryl, to be my lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live. According to God's holy ordinance, I will keep these vows 
which I now make in Jesus' name. Now, I was 26 years old at that time. And to be honest, I didn't know beans from buckshot about what it would take to, to fulfill that vow. But I believed his divine power had given me everything I needed for life and godliness. And every day, I'm serious about this, okay? I don't take this lightly. Every day, through faith in him and what he did on the cross, every day, I am living with all my heart to fulfill that vow. See, I'm a one-woman man. I will love her and cherish her for Jesus' sake all the days of my life. And I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm battling for something. I don't know if you can catch that sometimes when I'm preaching. I feel like as a culture, we're just, we're just, we're not, we're not grabbing hold. We're not grabbing hold of the purpose for which Christ grabbed hold of us. See, you didn't get saved because you wanted to. Jesus Christ grabbed hold of you. He grabbed hold of you for a purpose. And we need to grab hold of that for which Christ grabbed hold of us. So I'm wrestling for that in my soul, and I hope some of you who know what I'm talking about will wrestle with me, pray with me, take what Jesus did on the cross seriously. He declared from the cross, it is finished, everything you need, forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, and divine power. It's there. Will you grab hold of it? Will you seize it for Jesus' sake? I'm going to ask you to stand here this morning. And, you know, I, I really do believe most of us are uh, saved. But if you're not, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. So I want to encourage you. Uh, if all of you would just pray with me. If you've never done what I talked about today recognized your rebellion and turned your heart to God to ask forgiveness for sins and committed your life to Christ I want to ask you to do it today I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand and say pastor I want to do that I'm not trying to make it comfortable for you I'm just trying to ask you to be obedient to what he's calling you to do and so if that's you just raise up your hand we're not looking around most important person this morning that will notice you is Jesus Lord, I want to give my life to you today. And if that's your desire this morning, raise it up. Say yes and amen. Everything, everything on the cross, it is finished. The life-changing power of the cross. And here this morning, Lord, for some who are wrestling in their heart and others who are raising their hands and some of us who are already know but need to recommit, Jesus, we just uh, give our lives to you in a fresh way here today. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your wonder, love, your healing power, and your wonderful grace. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name this morning. Who else? Amen together.